starting a new series this morning, and let's just pray together. So Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you uh, for this body, for this family. And uh, Lord, I just, it, it just, it's fun seeing uh, just young people and for life that I'm thankful we have this, this thing called a church family, both uh, made up of young and old, people who love you, who seek you, and we get to do this all together. And, uh, you know, even the kids, they're not just the future of our, the church, they are the church. And, and so we just pray a blessing on them as we go through all these different transitions and, and different things. But Lord, I pray um, this morning, Holy Spirit, we just pray you would speak to us. More than anything, we pray you would move among us. That you would speak to us, you would shape us, you would mold us, you would just grow us more into becoming more and more like you, Jesus. And uh, we love you, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews 10 um, and also Jeremiah 31. Uh, so those are the two places we're going to camp out this morning. Um, so, uh, but before, I, I want you to think about uh, just our young people. If you've, uh, what's cool about being a part of a church family is uh, you get to see these uh, kids and young teens like throughout their whole life. And so you get to see them as like the little preschoolers that come up and, and then you get to see them transition from children's ministry to youth ministry. And then, then if you stick around long enough, you get to see them go from youth ministry to being young adults and you get to see them get married and have kids and do all these things. And you really just get to see God form and shape them. And uh, what we're gonna talk about this morning is, have you ever just wondered like how you became you? Like have you ever just like thought and looked in the mirror and just looked at how your, your life and and thought, man, how did I become me? And, uh, and I'm going to give you some clues. It's, it's because of people, right? It, the people are some of the biggest influencers and shapers of your life. So we first, I'm going to talk through three different just main categories. So the big shaper of your life is obviously your family, right? You are not here uh, without your family. And, you know, one of the primary things is, is your family is a big shaper of your life. It's the probably most influential thing about you. And so even with kids' ministry, one of the things that we have decided to do is, is not just to be like this dry cleaning thing where you just drop your kids off, you know, we kind of hose them off for you and clean them up. Uh, but we believe that parents, you're the, you're the biggest influencer and discipler of your kids, right? And so uh, your family is, is a, an essence of, of, of who you became you and just the different, you know, values you hold as a family. Uh, how many are grandparents? Do you have any grandparents in the room? Like, you're a huge influence and shaper of uh, your grandkids. And so my, my Levi, who is six, uh, he is an avid hunter, all right? And if you know Levi, uh, he, he's not here this morning. He's recovering from his, getting his tonsils out. But he loves hunting. I'm not a hunter, okay? Um, and, but his grandpa is. And so my son loves hunting. It's, it's a family thing. And so our families are, are, are integral shapers of who you are, just the different values, different things uh, that you're part of. But also, even that, it's your family system. So uh, if you ever get into some of the disciple stuff or emotionally focused, one of the things we talk through is that some of the, sh the what's shaped and form you is your, your family system. This, you, like, as you look at your grandparents and your aunts and uncles and your cousins, we have been shaped by our family um, lineage. If you've ever had the chance, we encourage you even to do what we call as a genogram. Anybody heard of that? It's, it's just a way to identify things in your family that have shaped and hold you. Steve Cuss in his book, Managing Leadership uh, Anxiety, um, he talks about like your family upbringing. What you come is a lot like if you ever played euchre uh, or poker or those sorts of things. 
If I, in high school, if they had minors, I would have minored in Euchre at Fairfield Union. Um, but, um, but a lot of what you do is based on like the hand you get. And so the reality of all of us uh, with our family and our family systems is, is like we've been given cards that we've been dealt with. And so part of this is just recognizing what kind of, what kind of cards we get to play, right? And sometimes it's knowing what cards you have helps you then begin to identify how to play those. So uh, we can, we're going to go into a little bit of that in a little bit, but it just I want you to be aware you are who you are mainly because of your family and your family system. The next part, uh, another integral key part of you is your friends, right? Uh, is, is your friends. And so again, uh, it's fun to watch my son who is an avid hunter and now his friend likes, is now also an avid hunter because of Levi. Uh, our friendships also form and shape you. There's a famous quote um, that says, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Right? Uh, um, Andy Stanley is famous for saying, your friends will determine the quality and direction of your life. And, and it's a su super crucial, especially for uh, our teenagers, right? Because that is a big part of who they are in their life is, is those friends they get around. And, uh, and so uh, we have our friendships. And then lastly is the culture around us. And there's a lot of different places of culture that happens. There's a, there's a culture within this, like a church. There's a culture in your workplace. There's a culture even as, as Americans and, and uh, that sort of thing. There's a certain culture. And, and one of those things is that that forms and it shapes us. And so one of the things, I, I graduated from Ohio State, and uh, so I went to school there. And I remember, if you've ever been to a Buckeyes game, uh, you know, it's a pretty shocking experience. Like, people drink really early in the morning. Um, that's just a normal thing. And, uh, but one of the things that shocked me was, uh, you know, Buckeye fans, we like to talk trash, right? All the Michigan fans are like, yes, you know. Um, and I was just shocked at some of the things people say to other people because they, of the team they root for who are 18 to 22-year-olds, right? And that became, uh, you know, I remember at one of my first games, this was a high state played Texas. And I'm like walking to the game and I'm like, they're like saying some very inappropriate things to strangers, right? But that is... That is like the culture, right? And that's why, you know, usually Buckeye fans, unfortunately, were like ranked top five as the most obnoxious, you know, uh, fan bases. But there was a culture that eventually by, you know, year three, I'm, I'm talking some trash to people, right? Because that was built into the culture. And so there's all these things that have formed and shaped us by culture. And so what we are going to be talking about is, is looking at through this series is, is how we were shaped. And here's the thing. It's not just for young people, it's us, right? We are constantly being formed and shaped by these things. So it's the truest thing about you is you are being shaped and formed, mainly by people. And so as followers of Jesus, we're going to talk through how do we, as followers of Jesus or apprentices of Jesus, how do we uh, walk this out? And I'm going to say one last thing uh, before we kind of jump into Hebrews 10, is we are also formed and shaped by the lack of people and relationships in our life. You guys know what I'm saying? We are also formed and shaped by not having these relationships that we were designed to have. So there's, there's been varying statistics that say somewhere between 50 to 60% of Americans struggle with, with some sort of loneliness. Uh, Vivek Murphy, he's the U.S. Surgeon General, and I've shared some quotes before. He, just, he even came out with an article at the beginning of May where it says, new Surgeon General Advisory raises alarm about the devastating impact of the epidemic of loneliness and isolation in the United States. 
They've identified that loneliness is one of the underlying issues of depression, suicide rates, and addiction. Obviously, there's a lot of complex things with those, but one of those they've said is loneliness. And they've equated it to about smoking about 15 cigarettes a day, which I thought was really interesting. How they figured that out? Like, it's not 12 cigarettes, it's 15 is like the number. But he's saying like this, he's, he's quoted as saying, our epidemic of loneliness and isolation has been an underappreciated public health crisis that has harmed individual and societal health. Our relationships are a source of healing and well-being hiding in plain sight, one that can help us live healthier, more fulfilled, and more productive lives. Given the significant health consequences of loneliness and isolation, we must prioritize building social connection the same way we have prioritized other critical public health issues such as tobacco, obesity, and substance abuse disorders. Right? What he's getting at is something the scriptures have pointed to for, right, for thousands of years. Is we were, we've been created for relationships. I'm just going to read briefly out of Genesis 1, right? The, the creation story, it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our in image according to our likeness. I'm going to jump to Genesis 2. Then the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. So one of the just foundational truths we got to be aware of is we were created out of relationship, meaning, if you get that, that let us make man in our image, meaning we believe in a triune God, three persons in one. They live in this eternal community of relationship, and it is out of that relationship we were created. But it was just, it was created more for, to have a relationship with him, but we were created for and designed for relationship. So again, we're going to spend six weeks talking about what we're called our series title, My People. And so the question I'm going to ask you is, who are you people? Are your people? Do you have a people? Are you satisfied with the level of those deep relationships that you have in your life? And the big question is, are those relationships forming you in such a way that you are becoming more like Jesus, reflecting him? So that with that, we're jumping to Hebrews. Uh, again, the Hebrews is, uh, we don't necessarily know many scholars debate on who the author of Hebrews is. Some say it's Paul. But what we know is, is they're writing to, to mainly Jewish um, followers of Jesus. And, and they're writing to a group of people, to a churches, that are experiencing some persecution and some isolation. And so they're going to kind of speak into that, okay? And it's kind of a segue from our Empowered series talking about the Holy Spirit. So here we are in Hebrews 10. We're going to start in verse 15. So it says, the Holy Spirit also testifies or gives evidence to us about this. For after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. All right, so I'm going to... I'm a, that seems like a really weird place to start, but I want to I start here uh, because it's talking about the Holy Spirit um, is testifying or giving evidence, and what, what the author is showing, has anybody, like, in your Bibles, does, it, does the font change a little bit for that section? Um, so my, in my Bible, it's, it's highlighted. What it means is, is this author is quoting from another source of Scripture. So sometimes it's really helpful if you're reading or you're studying your Bible, if you have these little instances, it's sometimes it's really helpful if you go and look those verses up 
and read them in the, in the full context. So that's what we're going to do. That's what we do. So what this author is doing is he is quoting from Jeremiah 31. And, and what the author of this whole Hebrews is, he, he quotes a lot of Old Testament scripture. And so we're going to jump to Jeremiah 31, and we're going to read the full context of that, all right? And it'll, it'll make sense once you get through this. So just stick with me, all right? So here we are in, in, in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, all right? And it's actually the second time the, the author of Hebrews quotes from this scripture. So he says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within, within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. So again, this author of Hebrews, he's quoting this scripture from Jeremiah. So let me give you a little bit of context in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is, is a prophet. He, speak, he writes this big letter warning the Israelites that they've abandoned their God and, this, and they've gone into exile. And so they're all scattered all over the place. And it's this warning of judgment. But within Jeremiah, there's these messages of hope. This, did you, you guys with me? There's these, this message of a future hope where one day this Messiah is going to come and he's going to make things right. And so he's promising this new covenant. And you see that the, the gist of this covenant was, again, I will be your God and you will be my people. I want to forgive all your iniquity. And so there's this restoration, this thing that's happening. Okay? Can we just scale back just a little bit more? All right? And, and just see the full context of Jeremiah 31 and it'll make sense. So at the very beginning of Jeremiah, it says, I will be their God of all the, Israels, uh, the families of Israel, and they will be my people. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to extend faithful love to you. I will build you so that you will be rebuilt. And then he goes on. He talks about, you will take up your tambourines again, and you will go out in joyful dancing. You will plant vineyards again, and the planters will plant and enjoy the fruit. Watch, I'm going to bring them from the northern land. I'm going to gather them from remote regions of the earth. The blind and the lame will be with them, along with those who are pregnant and those who are about to give birth. They will return here as a great assembly. They will come weeping, but I will bring them back with consolation. What is he getting at? All right, and I'm going to try to bring this together. So there's this new covenant, this new covenant that God is, is restoring to his people. And it's about, it's about forgiveness of sins and restoring that relationship, even though these people don't deserve it. You guys follow me. They broke their part of the covenant. They didn't follow God. They didn't follow. They didn't make him their God. They followed the gods of that region, and it led to a lot of bad things, all right? But God's saying, I I'm still love you. I'm still, you're still my people, and there's going to be this future where I'm going to make this new covenant with you, and we're going to restore this relationship. But in that context, it's not just going to be a restored relationship with, like, individually with me and you, God. It's going to be a restored people. You guys follow me? So it's this aspect of this covenant that God has for us is this restored relationship with us and God, but it's a restored relationship among the people. 
and it's, it's coming together. And, and, and this is a part where Israelites are like, they've had this civil war. They have actually two different nations. And God's saying, it's, it's this covenant for both of you. You're going to come together. There's going to be this restoration of my people. And this is this promise, right? I'm going to keep reading, and this is in Jeremiah 31. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter of Jeremiah 31 this week. And it says this, They will come and shout for joy in the heights of Zion. They be radiant with joy because of the Lord's goodness, because of the grain, the new wine, the fresh oil, and because of the young of the flocks and herds. Their life will be an irrigated garden. They will no longer grow weak from hunger. Then the young men or the young women will rejoice with dancing, while young and old men rejoice together. I will turn their mourning into joy, give them consolation, and bring happiness out of grief. Grief. I will refresh the priests with an abundance, and my people will be satisfied with my goodness. This is the Lord's declaration. There is hope for your future. This is the Lord's declaration. I'm reading a lot of scripture, I know, but this, this is this future promise. In their current reality, everybody is scattered, their lives, they're being occupied, but Jeremiah has this message of hope. There's going to be this future hope. And there's going to be this restoration with you and God, but there's going to be a restoration among your people. And it is like a party. Like, have you guys been to a really good wedding? No? Yes, right? A really good wedding. There, like, even you dance, right? I know some of you, like, you know you're at a really good wedding when you, like, if I'm dancing, all right? Um, but there's this celebration, and it's, it is young, and it's old people, right? You see this, this abundance, and this, this, like this phrase right here, my people will be satisfied with my goodness. Can I just, can we just be real honest, everybody here, right? Isn't that something you're longing for? I mean, isn't that just something like, just, there's just this satisfaction, this, ah, of being arrested in God's goodness. Are you longing for that? Is it just me? Um, like, if you just think of our, the state of our world and the division and different things, you know, there's not too many places, right, where there's, you have this, right? And this is this future that Jeremiah is promising, a people that are satisfied with my goodness. And he even makes this statement, right, in verse 17, there is hope for your future. This is the Lord's declaration. So this is this context of Jeremiah 31. This is the author of Hebrews is pointing back to this. And now that we have the Holy Spirit, it's testifying or giving evidence that this now is becoming a reality for us. That this is not just something we wait till we get to heaven. This is now an, an, a reality that we can experience, not fully, but that we can experience as kingdom people. So let's go back to Hebrews 10. We're going to be in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. That is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other 
and all the more as you see the day approaching. So what the author of Hebrews is, is pointing out is, is Jesus is coming. His sacrifice is the way we have this new covenant that Jeremiah is, is prophesied about, is Jesus made a way for that new covenant to become a reality, all right? And it's through his blood and through his sacrifice. It was a sacrifice once and for all. And so the way we, way we get this future of being satisfied in God's goodness comes through following Jesus, right? It's through Jesus is the way to the future, and that future is breaking in to us as well. But here's the thing, as, you re, as I'm gonna read through it again a little bit, this following Jesus is not a solo adventure, is it? It's, it's, it's a something we need to be connected to other Jesus people. That there is this idea that this is something we do together. I'm going to show the next slide. I'm just, I highlighted all these different things. First, you have brothers and sisters. It's this term that was used, for, used mainly for even biological brothers, to say brothers, you know, this uh, Adelphoi is what it was termed. But this is this language these New Testament people would, would refer to each other as, as brothers and sisters. We're now part of a new family that's, that's going to form and shape this. And it says, we have the boldness to enter. He inaugurated for us a new and living way. Let us draw near with a like Paul. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope. Let us consider one another. See, this thing is meant to be doing it with people. Right? We're, we're, we're called to live into this future with other people, where now the culture at large is not the major influencer. Our friends now are no longer the major influencer of our life. You know, even our family background, the cards we've been dealt with, now with Jesus as we follow him, he brings us along other followers of Jesus to form and to shape us. And here's the thing, we need people to draw us near to God. We do. Like, I need you. There are times where I, do, like, you know, I go through seasons, we all go through seasons where it's not the natural thing for us to want to draw closer to God. That's where I need a brother and a sister to, right, encourage me, to, to come alongside of me. You know, sometimes, like, that doesn't mean following Jesus. Like, it means life's going to get hard, isn't it? Life's going to get hard, and we're going to go through some things. And there's going to be some times where you want to give up. But if you have people, what I've learned, if you have people that are coming alongside of you, you don't want to give up. So, you know, I've done, I did a marathon training, and, um, like, I, I know I couldn't have done it, like, with Ed, without Ed, who, like, every Saturday morning, we had a, a time and place where I know if I, like, skipped out, I was going to disappoint Ed. And so I had to do it. And, and it was through him, helped me build these structures. So here's the deal. There's going to be plenty of reasons to quit. And I'm just talking about even this thing with Jesus. There's going to be things that you face in your life where you're like, man, is this Jesus thing really worth it? And that's where we need one another, to come alongside of him and just say, hey, remember this future hope? Remember this hope that we have? Remember, remember Jeremiah says that we can experience the goodness of the Lord. Let's hold on to that confession together without wavering. And the reality is there's this third thing, right? Let us consider one another. It means to really think through to, in order to provoke love and good works. I don't know about you, sometimes I need provoked. Do you need provoked? I need provoked. And it's, it's, it's like 
this word can actually be used in such such a way. It's like almost like um, if you if you're a farmer, right? You, you got to provoke a, like a horse to to like go, right? And this is the, this is this picture that that uh, the author is saying is is we need to to get together. We need to provoke each other and 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 influence each other to become people of love and to give evidence to that love by good works. And so this is, this is what it is. And so as it goes on, we, we, we should need to gather together and encourage each other. See, I don't know about you, we're, we're all in this together. I know we use that phrase a lot during like COVID. Do you guys remember that? There was not a lot of togetherness going on there. Um, kind of ruined that phrase uh, a little bit. But, but this is the thing, is we've been invited to do this thing together. And I get it. Uh, many of us have experienced the, the crappiness of human relationships, the crappiness of family, the crappiness of friends, the crappiness of a, a work culture. But if we really be honest, right, aren't some of the best things in life with people, right? Some of the best things in life is not just accomplishing certain things, it's, it's getting to that point with other people. And so what I want us to challenge us with, you know, this would you know, be a great, most pastors would go, all right, now just join a small group and then your life's fixed, right? <laughs> right? I, don't worry, I think small groups are super important. But I think for us, as we start this new series of my people, I, I think for, for us, we just have to, what I call, just rethink church. What do we think about church? Is it just a time where we kind of wear, like we actually shower for the week and like wear somewhat nice clothes? and we kind of do our thing. What if we saw churches as doing these three things? Drawing close together. Like we, we come in saying, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help come alongside my, my brothers and sisters and we are gonna draw close to God together. I don't know about you, I know there's just been a different temperature and culture in our church since we did the Lent series. Since we did a series on prayer. Why is that? Because we're, we're seeking to draw near to God together, right? So what if we, we saw church as an opportunity that well, I'm going to come in and we're going gonna, gonna, gonna to create a culture and an environment where we're going we're gonna to seek this living God together. What if we came in and we, we saw each other as an opportunity, almost like my, my Saturday morning runs. It's like, all right, we're doing this together and I'm going to help my friend stay faithful. And, and, and you know what, there's going to be sun Sundays I'm going to show up where I, I don't want to show up, but I'm going to be met with people who are doing it with me. And, and maybe the church is seen as a way to cultivate faithfulness in our lives with each other. And then what if we saw church as a way to consider each other, to, to help form and shape us to become more people of love uh, for one another? I think that sounds a lot more appealing than a nice, nicer shirt and some good music. But I think this is what, what Christ has designed his church to be, of brothers and sisters uh, coming together and, and a people that's, that's moving towards a people where they're satisfied in God's goodness. And then um, we get to get a taste of that future hope. And then I think it requires some of us to just rethink our, the way of our lives. Because again, it's really tempting just to, to add something to our life, to to, uh, all right, I, I got the small group, that's a checkbox, but uh, this is just more than church functions. 
right? Or church activities. It's, it's just rethinking how we do life. And I, I just part of it, I just want to encourage you is um, just, this is just between you and the Lord. It's just, where are you at in your relationships? Some of this, the series will just be an opportunity for you to just become aware of like, what, what has been some influences of things that have shaped me and how I do life with others? And some of those things may be some things you just, like, Lord, you just need to heal me of these specific things. Maybe it was some betrayal or rejection. Or, or maybe it's, you know what, like, in this life, we, we are just so busy with all these other things, I don't even know how I could do life with others. Maybe it's just moving towards, you know, like, there's this aspect of it that I, I need people, but also people need me. And we got to do this thing together. So I just want you to encourage you, just spend some time in prayer this week of just, okay, get present to the Holy Spirit and ask, Lord, how, how, how am I doing with my people? What does that look like for me? And, and I, what I really truly believe is I believe as you take those things to the Lord uh, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us and he leads us and he's going to show us kind of what that first step and next step is. So I'm going to have the worship team come up. And I just want to end with, with a moment to, to just, uh, would you mind just, would you close your eyes with me just for a second? Don't, I'm not going to do like every head bowed, every eye closed. Um, don't, don't worry. But I want you to imagine your life in five years. I want you to think about your life in five years. And I think for many of us, if we reflect back in the last five years, We've, we've walked through a lot of different things. And there's some things the Lord is, wants to grow and shape us and mold us, to shape us more like him. And I think in the next five years, we, we're, we've been given this invitation to just follow, to say yes to Jesus, to follow him. And there's things the Lord wants uh, to obviously to mold and shape us. And in that five years, right, it's, those things will not come naturally. Those are things that will not just come on their own, that one of the biggest formers and shapers of will be the people you walk alongside of in the next five years. And so would you just take a moment and just say, God, would you give me the people I need to walk alongside of me these next five years? If it's friendship, Lord, would you give me the friends that I need to walk through the, whatever these next five years holds. For some of you, it's, it's, you're, you're going through some parenting struggles and you just need some, some people that are a little older than you that have gone through those seasons. Lord, maybe for some of you, it's asking God, would you provide some older mentors that will, will walk so, alongside of me in these difficult years? For some of you, you've, you've last five years, you've, you've navigated just some loss of friendships or loss of things, and, and maybe right now you just really, God, I really need a trusted friend, somebody I can be really real with and vulnerable with again. Lord, would you provide that for me? Maybe for some of you, you need some people for your kids. Maybe you have some teenagers, and you're seeing that that they are being formed and shaped by our culture, by the, the, the culture of their, maybe their school, by, by maybe even the culture of, of social media. And, and maybe it's a sign like, it's, I need these people in life, but my kids need these people in their life. Would you provide that for them? Whatever it is, I want you just to take this moment as a prayerful exercise and asking God, who do you need in your life in the next five years?
And would you just ask God to provide those things or provide what you need in the next five years? Come Holy Spirit. We need you, Jesus. We commit to following you because you are the way to this future hope that we have. And yet we need people. We cannot walk in that future without other people. And so we ask, would you, would you make this a place, a safe place for people? Or would you make us a, a place to have people that would come alongside of us, to walk with us, that we would say we're not alone? Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to have you stand and we're going to worship together and then we'll close with the ministry time.